Okay, welcome to episode, I believe we are on 86 or 87, I can't remember, of Strike and Mike. Um, here with Striker, and we have the esteemed uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones as our special guest on the show once again. Welcome, Dr. Jones. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Good to be here. Yeah, great to have you here again. Um, so we've had, a lot of stuff has happened a um, lot of interesting developments, and uh, we wanted to discuss some of them with you. You sent us uh, an article that you wanted Stryker and I to read about uh, identity in America and religion and race, and, and it's in, I believe, in your latest, your upcoming issue of Culture Wars magazine. Right, the December issue of Culture Wars. Okay, yes. so do you want to summarize the points in that article for the audience? Yeah, uh, uh, basically, uh, Sam Francis... Uh, had a posthumous work appear uh, uh, just a, a year or so ago, uh, and it uh, it's I, I had an interest in Sam Francis because I uh, knew him when he was alive, and for some reason that I can't quite figure out, I was asked to be a speaker at his memorial uh, after he died, a memorial that was held in the uh, National Press Club at Washington D.C., and it was a meeting of what you would I guess you would call it the Paleo Conservatives. Uh, at that point, and uh, it was an opportunity for me to talk about some issues that were weighing on my mind. The main issue was uh, the Jewish issue, because I was at that point writing the Jewish revolutionary spirit. And it also allowed me to talk about the intersection of uh, race and ethnicity. How do these two things fit together? And I started off this talk uh, by recounting... um, um, an incident in Washington where Sam Francis was uh, hosting Mr. Tyndall from England, who was the founder of the British uh, Front or British National Party. And uh, they would talk uh, basically about what a great thing it was to be a white guy. And then he started talking about Elizabethan England as one of the high points of being white. And at this point, I looked at my friend Jerry Bruin. Uh, who I've worked with for years. And we both got the same look on our face because we thought, well, wait a minute, Elizabethan England, isn't that the time when uh, the uh, government could take Catholic priests and have them drawn and quartered for uh, saying mass in England? Uh, Why was that such a good time to be alive? Okay, so then the talk is over. Then Jerry Bruin raises his hand and he says, are the Irish white? And Tyndall gets this disgusted look on his face, and he says, of course the Irish are white. My mother's Irish. And then Sam Francis turns to him and says, are Jews white? And Tyndall gets this now this puzzled look on his face, and he <laughs> says, I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that. Well, I thought, this is the way I introduced the talk to the, to the people at uh, Sam Francis Memorial. I said, uh, what we need to do is we have to talk about uh, who our common enemy is. And I said, it's the Jewish revolutionary spirit. And I said, if we don't, if we can't talk about this, we can't understand what's going on there. Well, there was absolutely huge. You can't believe the uproar that followed from that. Taki was in the audience and he said, we're all going to be arrested. (laughs) And then somebody ran up to C-SPAN and said, stop. Turn off the cameras. This is terrible. And then Peter Brimelow got up 
and he went to the he gave talked to the microphone and he said, you know, I'm I'm happy about I like Elizabethan England. And I said, yeah, you did. That's because I would have been drawn and quartered back then. That's why you like it. And then (laughs) Sam Dixon is there and he's ready to charge the stage and lynch me. Uh, but my wife was sitting next to him, and she kind of wielded her umbrella, and he he, he calmed down. Sam Francis, uh, Sam Dixon, to his credit, called me up afterwards and said, I finally realized what you're trying to say. And what I was trying to say was basically, okay, I, I'm friends with Sam Francis. I understand what he's saying, but we're, we come from different groups. Sam is a uh, a southern boy, grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's one year older than me, and I grew up in Philadelphia, and he was a Protestant, and I'm a Catholic, and these are two different groups, and we really, you know, we, I'm, I'm happy to say that we can work together, but we're not the same group. That's all I'm trying to say here. We're two different groups, and you have to understand the reality of American life, which is basically ethnicity is based on religion, and race is an afterthought. Now, of course, Sam grew up in a, a part of the country where race was very important. You were black or you were white, and that was part of what the reality was. But in Philadelphia, that was not the case. And so what I tried to do here in this article was focus on a a moment in American history, which I think was the turning point. And the moment was 1954. And this is the moment when uh, Will Herberg comes out with his book, Protestant Catholic Jew, which is his formulation of what is known as the triple melting pot which says basically that their ethnicity does exist in America. We're not one nation under God, indivisible. That's a fiction. We are three groups of people, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, okay? And the triple melting pot is basically wherever you come from, you arrive here, you speak a different language, uh, you're an immigrant, and over the course of three generations, you abandon the language, but you keep your religion, and religion becomes the marker for identity in the United States of America. That's the thesis of his book. America is like Yugoslavia. It's a country that has three ethnic groups based on three religions. Now, as I said, this book came out in 1954, and 1954 is important for another reason, because this is the year that the United States government, uh, the Supreme Court, ratified the Brown versus School Board decision, which ended segregation in the South and made race now the, the, the crucial determinant of, of identity in America. It was also the year of Berman, Berman versus Parker, which is the beginning of social engineering, which is also what desegregation was. It was also a form of social engineering. So over this period of uh, the next uh, up till to, to today, what you have is basically the secularization of America. In other words, a de-emphasis placed on religion and an emphasis placed on race and government being the main broker of racial privilege in the United States of America. Now, the first group to privilege get privileged in this regard were the black people. And these people then were flooded into my neighborhood in North Philadelphia, which was an Irish neighborhood. And those people were driven out of that neighborhood and they went to the suburbs, even though it was technically within the city. And at that point, they became white. And this was the transformation that took place. It was basically what I would call identity theft, Uh, government-sponsored identity theft over this period of time because you robbed people of their 
uh, religion and you rely, because of that you rely, rob them of their ethnic identity and you created a group of people that had no identity. And in the, in the article I gave you, I quoted uh, Mary Eberstadt's book who talked about the sexual revolution and the destruction of the family leading to the collapse of identity in the United States and that leading directly to identity politics, which brings us up to the present uh, where the government and now the Democratic Party is based on identity politics. And I'm saying that in order to be a citizen mm -hmm. with full rights in this country, you have mm -hmm. to be part of a preferred group that has been denominated by identity politics. And to take it even further up to the present, I'm saying that the whole point of Charlottesville was that this group of people who called themselves white were denied fundamental rights because they called themselves white. In other words, the fundamental right that they were denied at Charlottesville was the right to assemble. It's guaranteed in the Constitution, mm -hmm. but if you are not a member of a preferred group or if you're a member of a non-preferred group, you have no rights. You do not have the right to assemble. You do not have the right to free speech, and they will punish you, as you found out, mm -hmm. uh, and Roberta Kaplan uh, entered the scene. Uh, yeah, basically I mean, sue the people. So that that's basically pretty much the the, the my my summary of what I was what I was trying to say in that article. Yeah, I mean, I find very little to uh, to disagree with in, in any of that. I don't. I, I actually agree with almost all of it. Only thing I would. I, and and you're absolutely right that we were denied our rights in Charlottesville, and that uh, that was based on our uh, being white and identifying as white. Um, and I, I also think that I agree with you, as you said in your article, that it's, it's clear from anyone that watches Hollywood or watches commercials on TV that there is an agenda to attack white people in the United States. Um, and so I guess, and, and not only that, but I completely agree with, uh, were I to be at that um, memorial service where all these events happened, I would have been on your side because I, I agree <laughs> that we should in fact, uh, to, to the extent that Protestants and Catholics have differences in America, they should put them aside, at least temporarily, and, and focus on the fact that the revolutionary Jew is, is our real enemy, that is the real one that is destroying our country and our communities. Uh, so, I don't know, what are your thoughts, Stryker? Um, a couple of things there. Uh, the first thing is, is uh, Dr. Jones's anecdote about John Tyndall being there. That, that's kind of uh, surprising to me because uh, John Tyndall was pretty hardcore. I, you know, I, I don't agree with his view on Elizabethan England, but I do agree with the core of what the National Front stood for. Uh, they were a pro-British pro race. They, they considered the British to be a race. Uh, and uh, on top of that, they were also anti-capitalist. And uh, quite populist, actually. They, they really took the British Parliament and, and the British political establishment by storm uh, during their heyday. So I, I have a lot of respect for John Tyndall. Uh, so I'll just get that out of the way. Uh, also, well, another, another maybe, a, uh, again, I do agree with Dr. Jones with the bulk of what he's saying. However, he did bring up something. Uh, I think he brought up the Balkan, the, the, that America was like a Balkan country. Well, you if you look at the history. Right. Well, uh, I would I would actually perhaps uh, uh, provide an anecdote on that. You know, there was a uh, uh, a Balkan War where essentially the the white uh, servants of the Ottomans, the, the oppressed people, the Europeans that were European Christians oppressed by the Ottoman Empire uh, during the first Balkan Wars, 
they put aside their differences and created the Balkan League and united as European Christians against the Ottoman, uh, basically the, the tyrannical Ottoman Empire. And later in the Second Balkan War, almost as soon as the Turks were driven out of Europe, hmm. the Slavic Orthodox powers, they had the same religion, they, they dissolved into infighting. So uh, Serbia and Greece uh, be- began a, a war with Bulgaria. All three of the countries were Orthodox Christians, by the way. And the war was not over religion, but rather it was uh, over B- uh, Bulgarian irredentism, in that the Bulgarians were promised all this land when the Ottomans were driven out, and when they didn't get exactly what they wanted uh, over the mass over the, the territory of Macedonia, where the Serbs and the Greeks were uh, kind of uh, you know infiltrating or expanding. Uh, then it broke out into a full-on war between the three uh, Orthodox Christian nations. So while I don't disagree that religion plays a role in conflict, in identity, and so on, it's not the only thing that plays a role. <clears throat> Certainly there are secular uh, issues that play into a lot of, of political and social conflicts or political and social uh, disagreements. Uh, and I think the, the the Second Balkan War kind of proves that. I mean, what what, what would you say to that, uh, Doctor Jones? That religion is the only source of conflict in this world. No, that's not what he said. Did, no. I, did I make that? Did I make no. that? No, point? no, 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 no. That that sometimes um, secular interests will cause kind of uh, cracks in the unity inside of a religion. Yeah. I agree with you. That's called the Reformation in uh, in Europe. Okay, oh, oh. I'm, I'm what I'm trying to say is things like this are inexplicable in in racial terms. That's all. I mean, they're, they, the 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 only difference between a, a a Croat and a Serb is religion. The the the, the during the uh, Ante Pavlich regime, they tried to find racial differences between uh, Serbs and Croats, and you couldn't find them. Well, There's no uh, racial difference between yeah, really a, uh, a, a Protestant and a, a Lutheran and a Catholic uh, in England. I'm saying that religion is the uh, became the armature of conflict in America. And I'm saying even when it looked as if it were racial, it was religious, really. And I'm okay. saying that because of uh, Philadelphia, uh, my experience. I, I cover this in a book I wrote called uh, The Slaughter of Cities, yes. Urban Renewal as Ethnic Cleansing. And in Philadelphia, it was obviously racial. It was there were all these black people coming up from North Carolina, South Carolina, and uh, suddenly all these Irishmen suddenly felt that they're white now because all the other people are black. So that's obviously racial. But when you look at the the deeper uh, grammar of what's going on, it turns out that the Ford Foundation is behind this, and the right. Ford Foundation uh, is hiring people like Reverend Leon Sullivan to orchestrate. Uh, weaponized migration of the of the kind that we're seeing in Europe, and so uh, it's ultimately uh, well. What's the Ford Foundation? Well, how do you describe the people who are head of the Ford Foundation? John <laughs> J. McCloy uh, is as white as you get, and he was a a servant of the Rockefellers, and that's how he got appointed to all of those high offices. Uh, uh, but he was 
on the other side of the divide. He was a Protestant. He represented the the, the interest of the WASP ruling class at that time, which was the, the ruling class in America, uh, as epitomized by the Rockefeller family. So I'm saying even in a situation like that in Philadelphia, it wasn't a racial conflict, ultimately. It was a religious conflict. I, I would I would argue that in the cases of, of, say, the Rockefeller Foundation or the Ford Foundation, engaging in attacks on Catholics, you know, cultural attacks. I would say that there is probably, you know, maybe Protestant, um, you know, um, Protestant hostility to Catholicism played a role in that. But I think that, you know, things like that may be better understood in the context of, you know, capital and liberalism in the sense that, you these people, you know, Rockefeller's um, loyalty to the liberal ideology was probably greater than his loyalty to the, any church or religion. I mean, I, look, I am I am not disputing that. I mean, his family came. They were Northern Baptist, which is a group that basically evaporated over this period of time. So to say that it was primarily religious in motivation in that sense, you're right. It wasn't. Okay, but if you go to the term liberal and you go to Philadelphia, what was the liberal organization? Well, it was the Americans for Democratic Action. They had a chapter in Philadelphia. This is when the left in America broke with the Communist Party under people like Hubert Humphrey and created their own. They call it liberalism now, and they had their own organization. But if you look at liberalism in Philadelphia, it turns out it breaks down according to religious lines as well. So the ADL was made up of Jews and Protestants, uh, the WASP elite in places like Chestnut Hill and Bryn, uh, Main Line, and their enemy was the Catholics. That's, that was the armature of conflict in Philadelphia during this period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, can, I can absolutely grant you that, that there, that definitely plays a role. Uh, however, I would say that the Catholic identity or the Catholic Church was a rallying point for illiberal whites that did not like the idea of smut in their Hollywood movies or, uh, you know, right. that, a sexual that, revolution. That, that's a good point, because if you go all the way back to the 1920s, okay, you still had the same three groups, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, but uh, this point, you've got the Protestants and the Catholics uniting against the Jews in Hollywood because of the uh, Hollywood pressing uh, the issue in terms of obscenity. And so the first man to represent that cause would have been Will Hayes, and they failed. They failed, and at that point, the Catholics uh, stepped up to the plate, and they succeeded in, in imposing the production code on Hollywood, which, which uh, existed, uh, was intact for 31 years. But then when you get to the end of the production code, suddenly you have a realignment of forces, and now you have the Protestants and the Jews basically wanting to break the code against the Catholics. So I'm saying it, these, these, these alliances are political alliances that change with the times. One yeah, thing I, I think mean, is missing here. Sorry, Stringer. Let, let me just bring up one last okay. thing here. Uh, there, there have been attempts, however, at uniting Catholics in America, actually. Uh, specifically in America, at uniting Catholics and Protestants <clears throat> on social issues. And honestly, Dr. Jones, the Vatican has expressed great hostility. There's an, there's an article 
by one of Pope Francis's top aides. His name is uh, Spadaro. Spadaro, yes. yes. I know what you're talking about. I wrote an article on that because Spadaro was talking about the organization I was working with. It was oh. called uh, the Christian Coalition. I was working with uh, uh, Pat Robertson during the 90s. And we were both working uh, Protestants and Catholics, or let's say evangelicals, not mainline Protestants, mm-hmm. but evangelicals and Catholics united against things like abortion and uh, uh, obscenity, the, the, the sexualists, the social issues. Okay, so Spadaro doesn't know, he doesn't have a clue of what he's talking about. And that means that Pope Francis doesn't have a clue of what he's talking about here. They don't they don't like it for some reason. They don't understand it. Uh, my. my so again, I'm just we're substantiating the same thing here. Right. Once again, you've got Protestants and Catholics coming together on social issues, on ad hoc political issues. The problem with the Christian coalition was, uh, in my humble opinion, it was a dishonest organization. I mean, it was not honest. They they were not upfront about what they were really involved in, and I'm talking about people like Ralph Reed, who got in bed with uh, Rabbi uh, Abramoff mm-hmm. uh, in this trying to bring. Uh, quote, Indian casinos to Mississippi. It turns out that the Indians all had names like Goldstein and Goldberg. <laughs> and uh, and this is what uh, the Christian coalition was really involved in. And it became apparent to me, uh, I'm walking down the, the hallway down at their hotel in Virginia Beach with my friend Pat Monahan, and there's uh, Ralph Reed walking toward us, and Pat says, we're going to support Pat Buchanan, aren't we, Ralph? And he gets this look on his, Ralph gets this look on his face, like, what are you, what kind of idiot are you? This is, t- and so they ended up supporting Bob Dole, and Bob Dole was God. a completely phony creation. He was, he was nominated to lose, yes, which yeah, is a tradition that. among the Republican Party. But <laughs> I'm saying, even here, you have the same configuration again. Okay, I think the, the thing, oh, go ahead. Let me just okay. add in here, I think that. That's very true uh, that Protestant, Catholic, and Jew were very salient identities for people in America. But I think we're also leaving out blacks. Now, the majority of blacks are are Protestant uh, to the extent that they're religious at all in America. Most of them are Baptists or or some kind of um, formulation like that. But you yourself acknowledge that in Philadelphia, when the establishment did want to uh, break apart these ethnic Irish neighborhoods, and, and also, I think you talked about happening in New York City with Italians, Irish, Polish, Greek, etc. These ethnic Catholic neighborhoods, they, they used blacks as sort of like the cudgel because they the knew proxy warriors. Yes, they were they, proxy yeah, warriors. But that's, and I, again, just so everyone understands, this is not we're not we don't consider ourselves an anti-black in any way. But we do understand blacks are a different people than us, and we we you know we. So we also understand that whites, generally speaking, Catholic and Protestant, actually, you know, they they will exhibit the same kind of behaviors when confronted with the influx of blacks, not only blacks, but also uh, immigrants of other races coming from South America. And so this is this is our point. So I I agree with you that these these religious identities were quite salient in America. I think they're becoming less so uh, as as time progresses, maybe. Perhaps you see that as as an unfortunate event, as a victory for the revolutionary Jews. I I don't know what your view of that is, but I think that race is a salient identity that people do rally around as well as religion. And the fact that there were such huge struggles over things like integration and civil rights, this it shows that this was something. And the fact that these were things like segregation were even 
implemented in the first place that the uh, the founders and and the the southern the governments of the southern states understood that this was a because that's where the majority of the blacks lived until um, the industrial revolution was in the south and so they understood that there was this racial difference and whites and blacks were different um, right. whatever religious differences there were between the whites and we're, we're simply saying that that race is also a salient identity that people rally around and increasingly so as white people are attacked on that basis and that we can rally around a Catholic or a Protestant identity, but that won't help us when it comes to issues where Jewish organizations, sometimes in league with other, uh, you know, other white people who have been paid off or bribed or ideologically corrupt or whatever it might be in league, you know, that's not going to save you from affirmative action. That's not going to save you from migration, uh, particularly when the religious organizations seem completely unwilling to represent our interests. Like, I, I don't see, and I know you disagree with this, but I don't see the Vatican coming to rally to our cause as well as I don't see any of these Protestant no, I, organizations which are totally consumed with Zionism. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I don't disagree with that. Okay. So that's, the, the Vatican yeah. does have a policy now of basically uh, fostering migration. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is part of the tragedy of, of Catholic life in the United States of America, uh, where you, they're con- constantly identifying with the commands of their oppressors. Mm-hmm. They, they were, they were uh, this is called Americanism. Mm-hmm. They basically was condemned by Pope Leo XIII, where you have Catholics who come over here, particularly the Irish, who wanted to, to, wanted to fit in. Uh, and and we're willing to make all sorts of compromises with their uh, Catholic identity in order in order to fit in, uh, compromising the Catholic faith, compromising their their identity. You have the same thing now uh, with this weaponized uh, immigration in in a place like Ireland. Okay, Ireland was taken. It's a conquered country. It was conquered by Google. And, and, hmm. and the pharmaceutical contra- companies who, who yeah. then changed the Constitution uh, to uh, include abortion. I'm doing an article. I met with John Waters, a uh, great Irish writer who was here at Notre Dame for a conference. And he's written a book on this called uh, Bring Back Our Bad Roads. And he was huh. the modus operandi here is exactly the same as what happened in 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 Indiana <laughs> during the Religious Freedom Restoration Act debate. Okay, the the state of Indiana passes a law saying you can't force people to bake co- uh, cakes for gay weddings, and then the CEOs descend on mm-hmm. uh, the state yep. of Indiana, the state house. Mark Benioff shows up and says, "You've got to change your law." Well, wait a minute, Wh- who are you? Yeah. What, what are you saying? The CEOs rule us? Well, yeah, that's exactly what we're saying here. Now, the tragedy here is that the Catholic Church has no clue about the state of warfare in our age. If you're talking about the, you're, you're talking, they talk about homosexuals, for example, as these are people who need uh, pastoral care. Well, yeah, they do, but they're also proxy warriors for a revolution that is destroying your culture and destroying your church, yes. and particular, in particular, Ireland. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember Ireland? It was a Catholic yeah. country. Yeah. What is it yeah. now? Is it still a Catholic country? Well, no. Yeah. 
Well, what happened there? Well, a war took over. There was an invasion that was led by geeks at Google and their homosexual <laughs> accomplices, and they conquered this country. And 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 you're they, being demonized. And who who runs Google I, though? I mean, I, Google's run by two Jews. Uh, Ireland you know. Ireland is the first country in Europe to literally have a Google president, a gay oh Indian. Gosh. Right. I'm saying, I'm saying <laughs> that's like the perfect Google tragedy, president. The point I'm trying to make here is that the tragedy of our age is that the church does not understand the state of warfare and how they're being destroyed because mm -hmm. they can't they, they don't understand i, Wait I have to i, I have to disagree with you there i think that the hierarchs at hierarchs at the church uh, i i can't i can't agree with you that they're just ignorant of what's going on you yeah. know because the catholic church from i i talked to many people in ireland during the last referendum on abortion and they all told me that the Catholic Church did not adequately represent the anti-abortion position. They were saying that they that the local clerics basically threw the fight, yep. just like they did with gay marriage, just like they did with other referendums in Ireland. I mean, Ireland is the first country that I know of where the people actively voted in a referendum to legalize homosexual marriage and yeah. legalize abortion and things like that. I mean, you know, when these when these I'm, things are put up for referendum in America, they get voted down, as we right, saw with Prop 8. Right. You're but right. over there, That's the Catholic Church has not done its job in protecting social conservatism. And that suggests, in my opinion, and I hope you don't take offense, that suggests a, a degree of corruption going on. Are you telling me the Catholic Church is corrupt? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well... You know, I don't know. Uh, I, for, four, for 40 years, for 40 years now, I have been camped outside of Notre Dame University, spending uh, barrels of ink uh, describing the corruption in the Catholic Church mm -hmm. here. Okay, I understand what you're saying. There is an element of corruption. There's a man by the name of James Martin, who is a Jesuit, who goes around the world promoting homosexuality. This is not the teaching of the Catholic Church. Why is this man given free reign? He's a Jesuit. Why are the Jesuits given free reign to undermine the teaching of the Catholic Church? Well, because the church, there's an element of corruption here, isn't there? Someone should be disciplining this guy, and they're not. Yes, right. I agree with you. I agree with you. But part of the corruption is, or let's say another aspect is, that they simply, there are people who simply do not understand how this war is being waged against them. And I'm talking about the Irish people who were blindsided by the most sophisticated public relations attack uh, in recent history. They, I, I just read through the, uh, the Atlantic uh, uh, Foundation's description of how they did it. It was really sophisticated. Yes. And they played on the Catholicism of the Irish people as a way of undermining the church by saying, you know, we, we, a, a woman that shows up on TV. These are the TV ads. Family, a uh, woman says, I have five children and I want all of my five children to get married. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, this. So they're. <laughs> yes. Well, that. So they were playing on their sense of yeah. family. They were playing. Well, this is a very sophisticated psychological warfare campaign that was waged successfully against the Irish people. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, here. we completely agree with that. I don't think you're gonna find any disagreement from me or Stryker on that. On that note, at all. The, I, I think. The I international... think that the higher ups. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I think the point is that. I think what uh, Stryker is saying, and I would tend to agree, is that there are people in the Catholic Church that are not simply bamboozled here, 
that they are uh, active participants in this, that they are perhaps, uh, you know, in on it in some way for whatever I reasons. I just gave you the name yeah. yes. of the, yeah. main, the main man, right. James Martin. He's a Jesuit. I don't think he's confused. I don't think right. he's bamboozled. Exactly. I think he's an agent of the oligarchs working within the Catholic Church. Yes. Is that, they have can to, we agree on that? Can we agree on that? Absolutely. Well, I, I do agree, but they have to be noticing. I, I mean, I'm not just talking about kind of disparate figures. I'm talking about the, uh, the higher-ups as a group. Uh, you know, I don't know if, if, if you've heard of this book. It's called Universal Judgment by John Luigi Nuzzi. Uh, apparently, according to documents that he curated, donations of the Catholic Church have fallen. From 2006, they had $112 million in donation from people going to church. Today, that number has fallen by half to 56.9 million. So, Catholics are walking; they're leaving the church Wait, because Stryker, the church that's is not in all of America. That's in the world. In the world, that's it. Yes, that's all the Vatican wow. has been getting. So that seems a very the, small sum for world donations to the church. Well, well, that is uh, the the Jewish media claims that it's because of the pedophile scandals and so on. Mm, but you know, I, I, I'm sure Doctor Jones would agree I, I'm, that I'm, I'm doubting that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that he he would probably agree that you know a lot of Catholics are disappointed in the church as an institution because it has failed to represent the silent majority in in countries around the world. And that's something that I find that, you know, I, I'm not sure if Dr. Jones is, a, is an advocate of integralism or anything like that. But, you know, I can, the, look, I uh, can give you better. I can give you better arguments. OK, I have many better arguments against the church than you have, because <laughs> I've, I've, I've studied this. You know, I've spent my entire life complaining about the Catholic Church. So if you if you want to get specific here uh, on the racial issue. Okay, there was a moment in in the 1930s, okay, when the blacks are starting to come up into Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is pure and simple ethnic parishes at this point. And North Philadelphia is Irish, and that's it. And the pa the pastor of the Jesu Church uh, says at this point, goes to Cardinal Doherty, who was, by the way, the man who broke the back of Hollywood. Okay, with his with his boycott of theaters, uh, so he was willing to take on the Jews without any qualms. Okay, mm -hmm. so the pastor comes to him and said, "We got all these black people; they're all moving into the neighborhood. I suggest that we create an ethnic parish for black people." Now, I think that was a brilliant idea, yeah. and I think it would have diffused a lot of the conflict in North Philadelphia. It would have diffused all of the conflict of North Philadelphia because suddenly we realize, okay, you're this group of people. Okay, we can't. Have, we don't want Italians moving into this Irish neighborhood. We don't want black people either. So you have your own parish. Uh, problem solved. This is also, by the way, what is happening naturally in places like South Bend. Okay, where the Mexicans moved in and the Hungar there's a St. Stephen's, which is a Hungarian parish. Okay. Well the Hungarians have all left. So let the Mexicans take over St. Stephen's, which is exactly what they did. And then our, our illustrious former bishop steps in and closes a vibrant parish full of Mexicans and ha sends half of them to a Polish parish. Now, what is the point of this? Okay, so if you're over 40 at St. Adalbert, you eat Gawumpki, and if you're under 40, you eat tacos. 
<laughs> I'm not, I'm not, this is this is actually literally what happened at the parish festival. You've got Gawumpke and tacos here. A completely stupid idea because you had some stupid Irishman and his ideas of assimilation. He's he's acting as a social engineer and right. not as a pastor. This so so when it comes to the the the, the moment is passed and then suddenly the Catholic Interracial Council gets on on board with the uh, race revolution, the civil rights movement, and they issue a statement in 1957 in which they say, Negroes are also children of God. Well, whoever disputed that? Yeah. The issue is, are they going to ruin our neighborhood because they're being <laughs> weaponized? <laughs> That's the issue. Why didn't you address that issue? So once again, the Catholic Church was out to lunch. They missed an opportunity, and we've been suffering ever since. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't compare it though. I mean, I'm not sure if 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 you're trying. I you know, this is this goes back to the racial question, however, because you know, uh, even if once upon a time Italians and Irish had their own Catholic parishes, when these two parishes co-mingle, uh, it, it's not as uh, destabilizing. As when you know Mexicans and and you know uh, European Catholics are commingling, you know people don't flee because a couple of Italians Irishmen don't flee from a city because a couple of Italians are in their church. I mean, no, you would agree no, with wait, that. You're underestimating the violence that took place between ethnic groups in the United States of America. So if you want to, if you want to go. Uh, an interesting artifact in this regard is Scorsese's uh, movie, The Gangs of New York. I mean, these were these were these were violent conflicts. I mean, really violent conflicts. And if you had a, a, a neighborhood like Cicero, which was a Czech neighborhood, as soon as a German moved in, they they burned his house down. So yeah. you're underestimating because in in retrospect, yeah, we all got married. That was the whole point of of my experience. My my father, my grandfather from Ireland had six children. They all married only one married an irishman they all but they all married catholics and i'm saying that's what the triple melting pot was it was spectacularly successful and it was so successful we don't even remember the violence that took place between these ethnic groups right yes but uh, a they lot were of, never a lot of that violence though was was based on organized crime and you know ethnic groups that were recent immigrants had their own organized crime rackets and so it was more of a um, clash of people fighting over a money bag than it really was, uh, you know, uh, some kind of irreconcilable of but racial. But change what I'm saying. Of right. course it was. Well, also, be, though, the, well, the question there is, though, that um, we, we saw that that, it, to the extent that, yeah, there was ethnic violence between these communities, but much of the, of the I mean, certainly the gangs of New York situation, a lot of that, I mean, this is going to reify what you're saying, like, that was sort of a nativist versus immigrant thing, which could be proxy for Protestant versus Catholic nativist being right. uh, Protestants, Catholics right. being immigrants, etc. I understand that point. But I think the point that Stryker was trying to make is that um, Italian Catholics and Irish Catholics living next door to each other, as they have for generations in New York City, are going to end up, uh, have in fact, just factually speaking, ended up mixing together to create what we call like the sort of <laughs> the new New Yorker race, which is half, <laughs> half Irish, half Italian. I mean, I, I, right. you know, I knew many, many people growing up uh, that that this was their, their this was the their background, and that is 
that is very different than how the, each of these communities and then an Irish and Italian community will interact with blacks. And this comes down to the racial question, which is not to say that Italian and Irish aren't salient identities. They are, and they probably have lasted in their saliency much longer in the United States than other European ethnic identities have. But there is still a racial issue, and that's all we're saying, and that, and that there is a common racial bond, and that that is going to be a rallying point today. And to the extent it is, and whites feel like all these institutions are, I mean, that we don't have representation. And if you try to, and the other thing is, if you try to say something like, this is another thing that uh, people say often, it's like, well, I'm not really uh, white, I'm um Irish or I'm Italian or whatever. Now, I, I am a couple of different European ethnicities mixed. I'm Norwegian and I'm Serbian. That's my, and a few other things thrown in there to boot. But I don't see myself as that because that would be, it just, it just naturally, I don't identify that way. I'm a white American. That's how I see myself. And I, Stryker is a Southern European heritage. Now, I come from a Protestant background. He comes from a Southern European heritage. Catholic yeah, I'm background. Italian and Iberian and, and was baptized Catholic. Right, yeah. and I was baptized Episcopalian. Yet, we have far more in common with each other. And we found a very strong common bond with each other, partly based on both being from New York, but also, you know, our race. And so there I just would layers, say... There are layers, right. There are layers yeah. to identity. That, yeah, it's that's not, not just one or the other. Dis- it's not it, race it, or religion. We don't disagree with that. Yeah. But what I will say, though, is that you can't dismiss the power of blood yeah. when forming a nation. You can't. You, you can't just say we're going to form a nation of, of, of based on a religion because simply history shows that this doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, you well, know, you're, you, in the wrong, you're in the wrong nation, then, if you're interested in blood, because this is a propositional nation. Well, that's... Yes. Well, yeah, and we know, understand. Which is why, I would. This is I would, why I'm I saying, actually agree with you. This is why they're saying that, no, that we agree with that point. But that, there's the question: is what do we do now? That's right. That's and I'm saying as a practical question, simply as a practical question. Forget about the sociology. Forget about the religion, the theology. As a practical question, if you identify as white, you're going to fail. And Charlottesville is proof of that. I'm just a- offering you practical advice here. And I began the article by talking about the Arbaeen March in Dearborn. I mean, if there ever propaganda for a, a terrorist organization, if they these guys have r- green headbands with with Arabic writing on it, I mean, it, it looks like the central casting's version of terrorism here. Well, they nobody touched them. There was no Antifa at the Arbaeen March, and if there were, I would feel sorry for Antifa. What ha- what would have happened to them there? But I'm saying the main issue here is they have protection because they are a religious group. You have no protection whatsoever as a white group. You will be doomed to fail. I, whether whether you, I, I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to convert you to anything. I'm just saying as right now. The war has been declared on white people, and if you identify with that group, you're going to lose. Period. I, I, so I would, I would counter that. I would make a counterpoint, respectfully, that the reason why people that unite based on, you know, r- racial identity, are attacked with an iron fist by the Zionist system, is because this is what the oligarchs fear more than a religious group. Uh, r- religious groups have, in in you know modern times, uh, really failed to even on social issues. Religious groups have failed on stopping gay marriage. They I have failed. Can I, on, can I just address that? I ahead. think that 
I think that they love it when you identify as white because they know they can defeat you. I think that they're but fearful. They, do, they identify. They defeated other. They're fearful when you identify when you identify with religion. There's no question that they have been trying to co-opt religion. I, I've written books. Read my book about uh, the Jewish revolutionary spirit, about how the Jews Jews tried to infiltrate the Second Vatican Council. I agree with you. They're trying to co-opt that. James Martin is proof that they can co-opt certain organizations. The homosexual and the oligarchs can co-opt the Jesuits. They've done it. I agree with that. I agree with well, that. There's okay. no well, question about that. Re- religious groups religious groups are the only group allowed to, as opposition, as socially conservative opposition to the neoliberal order. Right. And that's, that's the point. I'm here trying. we are. Here we are. 2019 America. There are gay child strippers leading gay pride parades. Right. Where where is the effectiveness of these religion based organizations? Right. And I'm not even talking about issues of national sovereignty. I'm talking about the, the, the issues that the religious groups are meant to, to combat. Where are they? They so, they're not successful. Yeah, and they while are not, they're, they're avoiding not, and while they're avoiding legal attacks and police attacks and antifa attacks, like they're not going to go into a church and, and with antifa, they're not going to sue you or whatever. But you have not been con- successful in in preserving any of your issues. So, like he said, we have gay, uh, you know, trans transsexuals reading to children in libraries. We have homosexuality. All over the TV, it's being pushed on children. Right, There's I, I, all, so people I, are taking. I, I, you know, and, and, me, and so let me, let me be clear yeah. here. Clear here. Yes, they have failed. My whole point is, I'm saying they they need to have, understand warfare the way it's directed against them. That's true. They have failed. My point here is a, a more basic fact than that. Do you have the right to assemble? If you're a religious group, you have the right to assemble. If you're a white group, you do not have that right. You have been denied that right. That's wrong. That's not just. It's unfair. But that is de facto the state of the situation in America right now. But why? Why is that? You know, why is that? Other than the fact that the one form of organization is is actually threatening to the oligarchs. You know, not for nothing, Doctor Jones. But any system where you challenge power, whether it's the Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, or Zionist-controlled America. Any system where you successfully begin to change or threaten the the status quo or power structure, which I assume you want to do as well, uh, any system where you do that, you're going to get a jackboot in response. The Constitution is irrelevant. Uh, all your stated rights on on pen and paper, you know, are are not going to be any defense when you are adequately combating the system we saw this in france with the yellow vests you know look at how the 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 oligarch media the zionist media covers the hong kong phony protesters versus the Mm -hmm. organic grassroots yellow vests where macron macron's pigs shot a little girl in the face you lost her eye you know the the brutality that they they pushed a young man in a wheelchair to the ground I'm, you know, I understand and, what and, you're that, and the reason why for that brutality is because the yellow vests were a threat to the establishment. The religious groups, religious based organizing has been proven in recent history and after the Second World War to be completely ineffectual in fighting and representing any community for any means and, and any purpose. You know, and so this is kind of what that's a, my that's a sweeping is. statement that, that I, I, I don't think that's true. And the, the, the point, even if it were true, I'm saying that this group has preserved its identity. Now, if you're going to t- talk about taking on the establishment, 
If you're going to talk about that, you, you're talking about some type of insurrection. And if it's an insurrection, I would say you, you would do well to follow the principles of the just war theory. And one of those principles is likelihood of success. Now, the church has never supported revolutionary movements. Never. It just doesn't support revolutionary movements. Okay? What you're seeing here is I, a, a group of people who have no likelihood of success. And, what, and any leader who, who is doing this is the man, I mean, this is the way I see Richard Spencer at Charlottesville. He handed out spears and he told these guys <laughs> to charge the machine gun nest. Okay? If you want to do that, uh, that's, that's, that's suicidal. And it, 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 there are many revolutionaries uh, in the past who have learned that experience. That is not the position of the Catholic Church. So to compare it to say, well, they, they, did, they put on a revolution and it failed, or they put on a counter-revolution and failed, it's not quite that simple. Okay, well, they, they, did, they did not understand, they still don't understand the way warfare is being waged. And even if they did understand the way warfare is being waged, they would never uh, promote a, rev- a direct revolutionary confrontation with the government anyway. Well, the Catholic Church has supported revolutions in the past. I mean, the Catholic Church did support Franco in Spain, who, you know, with nothing more than a couple of battalions from Morocco, uh, overthrew the communist right. government in Spain. And the Catholic right. Church was, that, was fully... Was, we could argue whether that was a revolution or not. Uh, he would say, I'm sure Franco would say the revolution came from the communists and not from the people. Uh, well, the, 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 the communists the were, were, were in control of the government, the economy, the military apparatus. Well, well, I'm Franco saying the, was church, the, outsider. the church yeah. does support revolution in some instances, okay? And the instances uh, are the, ju- uh, the criteria are the just war principles, and one of them is likelihood of success. I'm saying just from that principle alone, you have no likelihood of success. You have no likelihood of success. Whereas at least a religious group, whether it's Iraqi, Shia, or whatever, has the ability to stand in front of the government and assert its right to assemble. You don't even have that. That's true. That's true. Uh, one other thing moving on from that uh, is uh, one thing I, <clears throat> I find quite peculiar and very American is how uh, many, you know, traditionalist Catholics in Europe, uh, you know, I'm... I'm familiar with or friends with a number of them, uh, Pedro Varela, Roberto Fiore, uh, various uh, people in, in, in who are very hardcore Catholics. Roberto Fiore is, I believe, the leader of the Italian anti-abortion movement. Uh, these men acknowledge race and nation while also practicing Catholicism. Like, they are, you know, ethnic and racial nationalists. Um you know, Roberto Fiore was in a parliamentary group with the Golden Dawn, which and the uh, um, the Party of the Swedes, which are you know ultimately national socialist style groups. Uh, you know, so I I don't see the contradiction. Like I I think that someone can be a Roman Catholic or a traditionalist Catholic, and also acknowledge. Uh, the the reality of 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 race and and see that as at least a, a layer of identity. Uh, you know why? Why is it that in the United States there's this like huge like kind of categorization where you can only be this 
but at the expense of all the other truths, you know. Wait, no, Ra- racist, race is completely irrelevant to the European situation. Now, of course, it is not completely irrelevant. So when you get you have a government in Ireland that puts 500 Somalis into an Irish village with 300 Irish native Irishmen, of course, it's going to be a racial a, a racial issue. Of course, it's going to be perceived that way because it is artificially constructed to be that way. But when I get uh, an email from Zoltan in Budapest who tells me he's a white guy, I mean, what do you mean you're a white guy? When did you when did you become white? That's a completely irrelevant category to Hungarian history and experience. These are imported categories. I I did a book. I spent a week in Guadalajara with David Duke trying to convert him to Catholicism, you know, and uh, because I thought you would be more effective, David, if you had more sophisticated categories. And I wrote a book about it called Ethnos Needs Logos, and I talked about the emergence of race in Germany at this period of time. They didn't know what that word meant. The, the, the first, this is a Wilhelm Schmidt, who was a great anthropologist. He wrote a book on it and said it was spelled R-A-C-E. No German knows how to pronounce that word. You can't pronounce it. It's not a German word. And so they had to turn it into Rasse, R-A-S-S-E, which is their way of spelling it. And they imported it from America. They got it from Madison Grant. Mm -hmm. All of these things are completely alien categories. If by race you mean uh, some type of color differential, it has some type of metaphysical meaning. It did not exist in Europe. It was imported there uh, by Hitler to uh, address a situation that he could not solve otherwise. And that situation was the Reformation. Because uh, you had, you, he yeah. wanted to unify a country that is split according to Protestant and Catholic lines. And so he imported this, this idea from Madison Grant as his way of doing it. It had I, no relevance to I've actually I've actually read some of your uh, views on Madison Grant and you know, Lothrop Stoddard, that kind of school of American anthropology. And believe it or not, I actually agree that a lot of a lot of those materials are fundamentally based in a kind of analytical philosophy where, you know, they it's very zoological and so on at the expense of perhaps the spiritual component, which Hitler later on kind of moved away from from uh, Houston, Stuart Chamberlain and so on and began to interpret the, the, the German race as a, com- a combination of, of, of blood and uh, a, a uniting spirit. Uh, however, I, I will say this, though. Uh, on the other hand, what do you think of, of, of white? Now, I, I understand white as an empirical category is kind of a stretch that's constantly changing. I'll agree with you on that. Uh, with that said, I find that a lot of people, a lot of laymen, who are perhaps not so articulate or intellectual or so on, they may use white as a placeholder for Western. So right. what I mean by Western is, you know, what I would mean by Chinese civilization, which cannot be divorced from the Chinese people. Western, white as a placeholder for Western, a simple way of saying Western man, Occidental man is a collection of you know, European civilization that, to some degree, every country in Europe has you know, different components of it. You know, what, what I would say is the, the Greek philosophy, Roman statecraft, and Germanic engineering 
all of it coming together, wrapped together by a people, because you, you wouldn't necessarily divorce the, the product of a civilization from the people that created it, would you? No, but they're not white. I mean, but are they Western? Occidental? I, I, once, I once did a, uh, an article called uh, White People and Their Values, and I put a picture of Stalin and Mother Teresa on the cover. <laughs> now, what, what exactly does this mean? If you could even take it further and say, well, what are European values? Well, do you mean Nietzsche or St. Francis of Assisi? Well, this is a war that was going on in Europe that tore, this, tore that Christendom apart. I'm saying if you, put, you have to push it down to some type of bedrock, and if you get to the bedrock, it's Catholicism. That is what created Europe. If without Catholicism, there would be no Europe. It would, how, how would you explain a figure then? What, what I mean by Western is something like St. Thomas Aquinas using concepts from Aristotle I, to, to articulate I just wrote the Bible. A book on this. I wrote a book on Logos, and the central part of it is St. Thomas appropriating Aristotle. What's that got to do with being white? Well, the point is that he didn't use uh, Confucius. He didn't use you know people that have very good, interesting things to say. You're absolutely right. You know, You're he didn't use right. uh, Chinese uh, culture had nothing to do with with the development of Europe. The cre- the thing that created Europe was Catholicism. That's the well, only Aristotle thing that was Catholic, and he played a prominent role in articulating Catholic philosophy and so on. No, well, I mean, as I said, I did a chapter on Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle. I understand what you're talking about. This book begins, in a sense, with Thales and goes all the way up to the present, tracing Logos as it developed. And Europe was a crucial part in the development of Logos. There's absolutely no question. But it was the Catholic Church that became the vehicle of Logos in human history. And that happened when St. John wrote the gospel in Greek. And use terms like "ein arche, ein halogos." In the beginning, there was logos. That's what unified Europe. You have no idea of how barbaric my German ancestors were, <laughs> and how they could not get along with each other. If it weren't for the Catholic Church, we'd they'd still be chasing pigs through the forest of Germany. It's that simple. They were barbarians. Much as you know, uh, I love my ancestors, but they were barbarians. They didn't have a civilization, and they were constantly fighting with each other. And the Vikings were attacking from the north, and the Saracens were attacking from the south. And if it had gone on like that, Europe would have ended up like Africa, which basically uh, an Arabic culture, uh, a black culture, and no coherence. Hmm. Well, I I would okay. I would uh, you know I would definitely kind disagree that there was no logos or civilization before Christianity because, you know, I mean, you know, the the, the fact that an important biblical text said, was written. I said Greeks okay. were civilized people. They were yes. the epitome of civilization. This is Aristotle and Plato are 400 years before Jesus Christ. Right. So, yes, of course there was civilization before Christianity. I am saying that Catholicism was the vehicle of civilization in Europe, which was barbar- bar- barbarians. Bar- I, I wouldn't disagree, actually. I would not disagree that uh, 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 perhaps a puzzle piece, I wouldn't agree with you entirely, but a, a major factor in uniting Europe and bringing together, or rather spreading uh, ideas from the civilized countries 
uh, that the Catholic Church did play a major role in that. I'm not going to deny that. I mean, what what really a European identity is, you know, it can be seen by the fact that a, a, a cathedral in, you know, northern Europe and a cathedral in southern Europe have a very similar kind of structure to them, and, you know, they, they are built for the same purpose. So that is kind of the one uniting thing for Western civilization. I, I, I grant... Right. Then we I agree. grant Catholics we that, uh, but, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that it's still true. You know, that's, that's what I'd say. It doesn't mean that it continues to be true. The Catholic Church is far more interested in Africa than it is in Europe. Uh, you see that with even the words of the last pope, Benedict, who said that Africa is the future of the Catholic Church. So, you know, the, the fact is that the Catholic Church is deinvesting from Western civilization. And, and this is something that modern Catholics have to contend with, in my opinion. Okay? The Catholic Church simply does not want us. That's every single message you hear emanating from the Vatican is we don't want white people. We don't want social conservatives. We don't want anti-liberals. We don't even want the British people to vote for Brexit. What, 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 what business is that of the popes? You know, that, that is a total globalist a globalist political assertion that the Catholic Church has no role, no no right to be pining on. So okay. my point is that did you, did you hear? Do you know that the uh, the um, the Swiss Guards have now been uh, armed with tranquilizer guns? Hmm. Did you know this? No. <laughs> Their job is to shoot the Pope whenever he gets on an airplane. Oh. Huh. <laughs> really? The, okay, po- the point weird. I'm trying to make here is. This is a man who is fond of shooting his mouth off on all kinds of peripheral issues. And to talk about the Pope as somehow that these peripheral issues are somehow central to the Catholic Church is a misunderstanding of the Catholic Church. Yeah. It is th- This man is infallible, but only when he speaks on faith and morals. He's not infallible when it comes to judging uh, who's going to win the World Series or whether this policy is good or this policy is bad. He's not. But and to, is... to, to, lump, to lump that together, his pronouncements on airplanes with the patrimony of the Catholic Church is simply to, to, to do a disservice to Jesus Christ. Well, and we what can, he stands... I've heard this, this argument. Many Catholics have said this to me in the past, that the Pope has no particular... Uh, Charism is the word they've used for these uh, these issues, political issues and such. But nonetheless, it has an effect. Uh, of course, it does. he has an he has an influence, and he represents the fact that somebody of those of those types of political values then uh, becomes at the, the the head of the church is is significant. And I, I think the point I think we've been going all over the place here. We've kind of ranged around a lot of issues, and we found some issues of of, of serious agreement and disagreement. And I think that. Um, I kind of want to try and like, let's bring it back together. I don't want to be very confrontational right. here. I think that we are fundamentally on the same team, and we recognize we've spent very little time in this conversation talking about what frustrated you at uh, Sam Francis's uh, memorial service, which was the inability of some certain individuals uh, to recognize that that the revolutionary Jewish spirit is uh, the enemy here, or the the Jewish the Jew, the, the revolutionary Jew, and what they have done is the one that we are primarily fighting against. And um, I, I want to address real quick the, the thing you said about how identifying as white means that you essentially have like given up or you have no hope or, or you're just going to get crushed. And it, it certainly seems that way. 
and you point out Charlottesville and all the things that 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 came out of Charlottesville. But I'll make one point to you. I just want to I just want to counter one thing to you. Who was not destroyed by Roberta Kaplan after Charlottesville? Me. Antifa. Me. Oh, I was you. not. Okay. I successfully okay. fought her back in court. I'm here today. I still publish my message every day of the week. I put out a new show. Uh, we Stryker and I have enjoyed a good deal of success pushing our message. So I think the fact that there was one setback does not necessarily mean that an entire um, movement or an entire political position is, is doomed to failure, particularly as it has increasing uh, appeal to young people. And we are not in any sense telling people don't be Catholic. That's not our message at all. We are oh. saying there's a political struggle to be waged. The enemy is, is international Jewry that is attempting to invade not just America but Europe with um, peoples of foreign cultures, races, religions, right. Uh, right. destabilize our societies. And you even talk about the, the, ch- the Polish uh, church that now everyone under 40 is Mexican. That's not something we like. We totally don't like that. We, we want exactly the opposite. We like these inta- the idea of intact communities and, and racial parishes or ethnic parishes and such. And when you brought up that issue of how uh, this one um, priest had brought up the idea in Philadelphia of creating ethnic church for blacks that's that would have been exactly my idea as well of how to handle one one of these right. this type of situation so we we were all sort of in accord on that um i think that the idea that the struggle is because it's a big uphill battle now doesn't mean it's hopeless and while yes there's there is a difference between telling men to charge a machine gun nest and, and telling people to go to a political protest okay nobody you know only one person ended up dying at, at charlottesville and that was was heather Heyer, and that was her right. own fault due to rioting as part of an anarchist war. mob so some people right. had setbacks in their lives some people suffered uh i had serious setbacks but i fought and i won in court against a yeah. very powerful group of Jews. And I did that through just determination and fighting back and not being willing to fold to them. And so I think that it's, it's Moral not... Moral zeal. That's that the was, key to That winning. was actually I, what I, I was fighting I, with. I didn't apologize for what I was doing. I, I, I took it right to them. I said, in every complaint I filed to that court against these people, I said, these people are trying to suppress my rights as an American citizen, my constitutional and my moral rights to free speech and assembly. That's what this is about. Ultimately, I won. I was the only one that won. There's various reasons for that. Uh, we don't need to get into that. I think. It, I remember. I remember when when Mike was fighting his lawsuit. He was spending all of his free time on this. He was spending probably probably spent hundreds of hours yes. on this thing. He well, had moral I'm glad, zeal. Look, I'm glad you won, but that the fact that you were sued for for exercising your constitutional rights is a, is a scandal in and of itself. It is. I agree with that. I, I, it's it's an awful situation. So I, do we me, me do we fold in the face of let that, me, or do we fight let me, back? No, let me get back to the issue here in terms of this the, bringing up the Jewish issue. The, if you t- have white as your fundamental category, the Jew disappears. That's a fundamental fact. You cannot address the enemy because Jews are white or they can claim they're white because it's an empty category. So when it came back to me, the pushback on me on the on the Internet, okay, this guy, this uh, this uh, Dexter Van Zyl attacks me. He's a a Jewish operative. He attacks me. And then uh, nothing happens because I'm not going to fire myself. I'm dead. You can't (laughs) kill a dead man. Okay, I died 40 years ago. So then what does he do? He writes a letter to my bishop 
And he says, you've got to deal with this guy. <clears throat> I guess he wanted to be excommunicated. Maybe burned at the stake. <clears throat> Point here is, the bishop, uh, there are certain objective criteria about whether you are a member of the Catholic Church or whether you should get kicked out of the Catholic Church, and he has no control over them. Whereas white is a completely empty category that can be manipulated to your disadvantage, and that's exactly what happened. And I think mm -hmm. what happened out in the, obviously, I'm glad you got out of that mess, but there are plenty of people, you should have never been in the mess. I'm talking about the Roberta Captain and the legal mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, you never yeah. should have been in it in the first place. That's a complete violation of your rights as an American Absolutely, citizen. Absolutely, 100%. I'm just saying, de facto, that's the world that we live in right now. And we, okay? I don't think that we are under any illusion about no, that. No, we're not under any well, illusions here. And I'm saying that part of what happened here was a disillusionment among certain group of people. And I'm saying, I'm yeah. feeling, these are people coming up to me, and they're saying they need a deeper identity, and religion can provide it. And that's what's happening. Sure. I see that happening now. I think a lot of people are, well, you know, you're, you are correct to a point that white can include Jews in the eyes of many people that are not so politically savvy or, or ideologically savvy. You're totally right. But then again, uh, the identity of Catholic also can, can include Jews. Uh, as you saw, I mean, I remember seeing this debate uh, between you and Dr. Brown, right. Dr. Brown, who's a Catholic just like you. No, no, wait a he's not a Catholic. He's an evangelical. He's a Judaizing evangelical. Okay. And secondly, the water, this is the Israeli. He's a hardcore Supreme Jew. The, the Israeli Supreme Court has affirmed the fact that if the water of baptism goes down your forehead, you are no longer a Jew. The Catholic Church and the Israeli Supreme Court agree with that completely. If the man is baptized, he is not a Jew, period. There is well, no racial carryover. Now, that being said, these people are raised in a certain way. They can have a, a, a lifetime of bad habits they bring with them, and they have the to Moranos. work on that. Uh, they have to work on that after they become Catholics. But the fact of the matter is, you're no longer a Jew once you become a Catholic. Okay, so, that's, you, what of what of the converso phenomenon? Historically yeah, I mean, we've had that stuff. There's a chapter in the Jewish Revolutionary yes. Spirit on the converso phenomenon, and it yeah. was one of the one of the the, the most uh, uh, neuralgic uh, points in history, and it's the beginning of racial consciousness in Spain. Because they simply could not deal with the bad faith of many Jews who converted insincerely and still continued operating in secret as Jews. They tried to bring in the Inquisition to solve that problem. They couldn't solve it. So the answer was they expelled the Jews uh, and they ended up spreading the problem to Turkey and Amsterdam uh, as a result of that. Well, well Queen, Queen Isabella, Queen Isabella they, they, right. the, the Spanish state during this time had almost a proto racial understanding they believe that heresy was inherited and that was one of the the explanations or rationalizations for deporting the jewish population from spain now wait, now, wait a minute you're talking some of the greatest saints in spain were have jewish heritage so you can if you're saying there are were insincere conversions i agree with you if you're saying that all the conversions are insincere i have to disagree with you because some of these people became saints you can have a sincere conversion from judaism I'm, I'm saying that the Second Vatican Council was spearheaded by a number of, rec of recently converted Jews. 
Uh, after if you the want the story, the inside story, the Jews did try to subvert the Second Vatican Council. I have a chapter on this in the mm-hmm. Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. It was Malachi Martin, a Jesuit, once again, Jesuits, uh, was being paid by <laughs> Benet. Been known for a lot of Jews, by the way, originally. A lot of Malachi Martin Jews. was being paid by the American Jewish Committee and Benet Brist to subvert the, the document on uh, uh, the Jews. He failed. Okay, there was subversion there. You can read about in the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Well, okay. I would argue that given that you know, and and again, I, I'm currently reading that book. Uh, it was generously given to me by a supporter, uh, along with a couple of your other books. We can show, I can show your books in a second. I think Stryker has read it, but I'd say the fact that Jews uh, can sort of dishonestly convert, sort of if you will, take on another skin chameleon-like in order to achieve another purpose, and they've done this with the Catholic Church, they also can do this by claiming to be or presenting themselves as racially uh, white or whatever. And I, I would argue, sure, like in terms of like genetics, you could say they're X percent European heritage or whatever, but they, they are their own group with their own interests and they will happily lie and say they're white they will also lie and say they are catholic in order to promote the interests of this group so given that i think um while i certainly agree that catholic as like as an institution with with rules has a, a more clear definition of who can and can't be than white does i agree with that Again, I keep coming back to the idea that, and and that you've agreed to that race is a salient part of who people are. That and that, and that when racially other groups come in, communities fall into disarray. And so, just based on that, how, how are people to to fight against the dissolution of their communities when the church simply won't do it? And and, and you've acknowledged that this is a problem with the church. That the church is now pro migration. How are we to fight against this if, if, if you're saying that, you know, we'll get institutional protection by becoming Catholics or people, people that are Catholic will get institutional protection to push issues or to, to engage politically? Sure, maybe. But then how are we to actually struggle Look, for, for our communities glo- when, they, glo- when they won't take our side? You're globalizing here. Okay. I had – I was in Poland – Okay, the, I was doing a book tour for the Polish translation of Libido Dominandi. I'm going to the first venue, and their phone is ringing off the hook. Cancel the book tour. Jones is a, an anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. When I got there, the chancellor told me, don't worry. Mm-hmm. And I gave that talk. And the place was full, and the people lined up around the block for signed copies. Now, if the church had thrown me under the bus at that point, we wouldn't have had the successful outcome that we had. And the successful outcome was that basically we blocked gay marriage in Poland. It's not going to happen. And it was a collaboration between me, the idea guy, and the church, the institution. I'm saying that is a winning combination. No, that's, that's only, great. It, and, uh, as yeah. far as I can see, it's the only winning combination that I can the, the see. Thing is, horizon. The thing is, though, is that, you know, just like you were able to practice your right to speech, your right to address uh, other Catholics in Poland and so on. Uh, white nationalists in Poland 
also can go out and protest and march freely as well, unlike in America. So that is more so an idiosyncratic reality in Poland where no, people simply not, have more freedom. No, it's not idiosyncratic. It's when the church is strong, the Jews are weak. When the Jews are strong, the church is weak. It's That's the fundamental dynamic of European history and world history. It's not a coincidence. I don't know. The, the, the church was not uh, in charge in, uh, in Germany. In 1930s Germany, and the Jews were very weak there. So you know, the church the church was divided because of the Reformation. The Germany has never recovered from the Reformation. If the if there had been no refor- Reformation, the church would have retained police power throughout Europe, and that would have meant n- no rise of capitalism, no rise of England, no all all these. It, it's it's pointless to speculate. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that, that when the church loses police power, other groups rise up and fill that vacuum. That's so. Let, let me let me get your thoughts on um, yeah one. Uh, so I wrote an, an op-ed yesterday. Uh, essentially criticizing American conservatives and Christians, Catholics and Protestants, because I find that a lot of times social conservatives lack the moral zeal and fervor that the anarchists and communists that are fighting them, essentially, we saw this with uh, Chick-fil-A, you know, for, for a full decade, homosexual activists, picketed every single opening of a chick-fil-a if not outright uh opposing the opening through city councils that they would buy off for pressure uh they would block new chick-fil-a's from opening in their in their cities uh you know what i would argue dr jones is that you know where where are where is the catholic or christian paul singer or fred ichan or guys that have given Tens of millions of dollars to homosexual pressure groups and the two major parties. You know, I looked at, you know, I, I know you, you would say that, that the Kathy family that owns Chick-fil-A, they are Protestants and so on. But, you know, the, the Kathy family is worth $11 billion. If they set aside just a fraction of that, they could change American culture right. overnight. Okay, I have it. Look, the question is, why did they back down? Why do people back down? Yeah. Because uh, they're they're cowards. Okay, that's part of it. Because uh, ultimately, you have to have something behind you on which you will not back down. And I'm saying only religion can provide this. So today's reading is about Eliezer, the book of Maccabees. He's a 90-year-old guy. The Greeks take over uh, Palestine, and they're going to force him to eat pork. Okay, and the friends are saying, "Look, just eat it. Just pretend you're eating it. Don't you don't have to eat it. Pretend you're eating it. Everything, anything will be happy." He says, "No, I'm not going to go along with that." Now, what gives you the courage not to go along with that? It's basically God and the fact that okay, you kill me and I will go to heaven. Now, what else can guarantee that? Well, can, then can you, well, can, hold on a second. Is your, well, is your, is your whiteness going to get you to heaven? Well, let me ask you. Let me. Well. Yes this or no? Is where, this is where I would disagree yes with you. Yes or no? Well, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm kind of on the fence about uh, about religion personally, but uh, I do respect a lot of Christians. No, I'm teachings. saying there's, oh, it's got to be some uh, type of ultimate thing. No, I can't give it up because if I do, I'll go to hell. It's so my are they, are the anarchists, question here. Are the, and that's are the anarchists, what gives you the courage to stand up what against gi- so people, what gives, no matter what gives who it a- is. What gives atheistic homosexual communists? 
that are that were successful in making Chick-fil-A cower. What gives them that moral power then? Because they don't the believe devil. in heaven. The devil. Well, they don't believe in that either. They're just queers and, and they trainees. They don't have to believe in it to do the work, to do the devil's work. You don't have to believe in the devil. I mean, we're talking about the synagogue of Satan here. We're talking about people who are in total rebellion against Logos and the Logos, and they will get power from the infernal sources of that power. You don't have that power if you're trying to do good. And what are you going to say when a push comes to shove and they put the pork up to your mouth and say you either eat that or you're going to die? What are you going to say? It's got to have some type of religious background or you're going to cave in. And I'm saying the point of secularization was to destroy these people's ability to say no. They, they are the ones that, that, that's what sexual liberation is about, to destroy mm-hmm. your idea of God. Because when push comes to shove and you don't have that idea anymore, you're going to go along. Whether you're but, Chick-fil-A, I don't but, care who you are. But all the, all the Christians are going along with it. They believe in, in, in an did afterlife. Did I say every all Christian was going to stand up? Did I ever say that every no. Christian was a saint and there were no cowards in the Catholic Church or fools or yeah. subversives or criminals? No, I never said that. How about Rod Dreher and his his Benedict option? I'm saying when push comes to shove and you have to defend some type of ultimate position, the ultimate question is going to be, are you willing to die for it? And and, And the Jews in Spain said no, and the rabbis ratified them, and they said no. You can eat pork. That's what the rabbis told the Jews in Spain. You can convert, you can go through baptism, and you can lie. That was what caused that problem here, okay? I'm saying the push comes to shove. If you're in the cause for the good, you have to be willing to die for what you're doing. And if and the only reason you would be willing to die is because you thought it was going to it was the right thing to do and there was a god in heaven who was supporting you. You don't think people are capable of doing the right thing simply out of pure altruism even if they don't believe. I'm talking about an extremist situation, yeah. because everything has to be reduced to. Yeah, sure, we can. It's easy to be virtuous, or, or easy to be, go along with the cause. Uh, if the cause is the Republican Party, which is basically no different than the Democratic Party, <laughs> right. I agree with you there. I agree with you there. Yeah. Well, I, no one's going to die for the Republican, Republican Party. Absolutely Party. not. Um, I, yeah, look, I, I agree. But uh, people in history have also died for nation. They've died. They've died for patriotism. They've died for secular causes as well. Uh, people have endured torture. People have been willing to be executed for a political cause. People for a national cause. Sometimes for a racial cause. So I think that I, right. I understand there, there what you're saying. I agree with yeah. what you're saying about courage, moral courage. You actually and Stryker kind of hit the same point where you were talking about moral zeal. That was what Stryker was talking about when he was saying, look, these, these homosexuals and anarchists, they do have moral zeal on their side. And you would say, this comes from, uh, from Satan. I, I wouldn't, well, wait, you know, I understand up. that conception. Well, that far. The, the, the well, that's what Jones are, is saying. Yeah. The oligarchs yeah. are supporting these people. You're absolutely the right. You, you're, that's true, too. The, the most powerful people on earth supporting them with their money and, and their legal system and so on and so forth. So it's easy to be brave when you know you're not going to suffer. That's Look at Antifa. I actually completely I totally agree. Antifa showed up at Charlottesville. Well, sure, they're brave because they know they're not going to go to jail. No, not one lawsuit was filed against Antifa. And they showed up with the intent to commit violence. 
I, I think I think we make a mistake though in just dismissing it all as well. They have institutional backers. It is true to a point. For example, homosexuals that oppose Chick Fil A and want Chick Fil A's to be blocked from expanding into their cities, they can count on the Democratic Party, on the local Democrats, on the city council to vote in their favor. I totally agree. The question I'm posing here is why is it that we can't count on conservative institutions of any kind to respond in the same way whether it's the local catholic church whether it's no, the republican party it's not true that is not true that is not true and you don't have to have the support of the local pastor to be a catholic who is convinced that this is right and i'm going to say something look how have, have i gotten the support of the catholic church uh, yeah, I did, because the bishop did not kick me out when Dexter Van Zyl said I should be excommunicated. That's about the support I've got. I've gotten support from Jesus Christ, okay? Right. This is this is the type of transcendental horizon that you need if you're going to oppose the rich and the powerful, because you have nothing else on your side. Yeah, see, I think that that was where I was, this is what I was trying to get to, where you and Stryker were kind of hitting on the same point of moral zeal. And I, I, I agree that moral zeal is absolutely necessary uh, to fight these kinds of battles. I completely agree with that. So uh, your argument would be that only can come from, from religion. Um, some people, like I said, other people have found that kind of moral zeal through other causes. Um, and and there, there are examples of that in history. People have died for their country. People have died for their race. People have died for their nation. For their family. When, for their when family, someone is exactly. threatening, When someone's threatening your children... You're not thinking about going to heaven. You you, you act on family? pure instinct. Why do you think the family is important? Why do you have a family? Right. Okay. I mean, we this is going to devolve into to do with religion. Does the fact that you have a family have anything to do with religion? Is that the matrix that allows you to have a successful family? This is all we're talking about concentric circles here. We're not yes. talking about th things that are opposites. Of course, well, exactly, and and that's nation, this family, is sort of where we keep com coming back to, and and we, again, there's really not much that we disagree on. We don't, want, I don't want to get, uh, I don't want this to devolve into like a really confrontational I, thing here I, because I, I no. this discussion, it's something that has to be good. talked about. Yeah. We have to get this out in the open, yeah, uh, because the the stakes are high here. And yes. I, yeah, I, I agree I, with Jones on ninety percent of everything. We, we seem I to like don't. find yeah. a lot of area of agreement amongst all of us. I don't want to see another Charlottesville. I understand. Yeah, I, yeah, and I think that uh, you know we would again. That's another thing that we agree on, in that we we have, but Charlottesville. Um, I think your argument would be that there was a lack of um, of this sort of metaphysical uh, belief structure, or, or in, and then on top of the other institutional support that caused this this sort of brittleness, this weakness. And I agree that we did go to Charlottesville. Many people were totally disillusioned. A lot of people walked in there thinking they had rights as Americans. Um, you know, a lot of illusions were shattered. There was a lot of disillusionment. There was a lot of infighting that resulted. A lot of problems came out of it. I agree. But um, many, many, uh, you know, political movements have had setbacks. I'm saying Charlottesville was not this disaster that it means you, you simply can't identify as a white person anymore. No. It, it, it was a setback in many ways and a learning experience. We have to learn and grow and understand what we did wrong. Uh, I am not going to be urging people to take... I'm not going to 
I am not going to be urging thousands of young men to take to the streets in a liberal stronghold where the police and the anarchists are going to set everyone up. I'm not going to do that again. I mean, I arguably I didn't do that before. I simply agreed to speak. But I would not, if I saw somebody doing that, I would also say, look, you got to think about what you're doing. Because look at what's going to happen here. This is a liberal stronghold. They have, we've seen what happens with this. So we have to uh, regroup, come up with different strategies, and uh, not make sure that that kind of thing can't happen again. I don't think that the, the, the setback of Charlottesville like, invalidates the struggle on the basis of, of, of white identity. And again, I, we also, I would agree with you that this sort of racial or, or ethnic identity does not exclude any religious identity. Uh, and we also agree that a, a strong fighting moral zeal is necessary for at least some of the people, and not every single person has to have that, but certainly leaders and, and a lot of people do have to have this willingness to take hits and potentially possibly yep. even to die. And yes. uh, these are all things we agree on. So I think that this is very fundamental. And on top of that, we also agree on the fundamental people that are behind this. And right. I'm greatly enjoying your book. Uh, let me grab a copy of it here. Yeah, I am greatly enjoying your book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, generously sent to me by um, a, uh, a fan of our site and a fan of yours. So I think that we, we can agree on all these points. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, just, I, 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 enjoyed, I, just, yeah. I enjoyed our conversation. Okay. Right. You yeah. guys, are, you guys are wearing me out. Okay, okay we've been here for an hour. We and are. A half. We do seem to be we, coming back to similar points where I think yeah. we have discovered. I, I think at some point the conversation uh, going over again, where we have points of disagreement, is pointless. But I think we should focus on where we agree and where we're, we're allies. I consider you to be an ally and a valuable resource. I always tell people your books are some of the best uh, works of, of history I've read. Um, yeah. On some of these issues, I am looking forward to reading Baron Metal. I haven't read it yet. I have, you know, I would. I wish I could sit down and just spend my whole weekend reading. I funny, funny. I, I was volumes, reading. But. I was reading Jones's uh, Degenerate Moderns when I was in my early twenties and was a skinhead. <laughs> so, right. So like, you know, I, I've been a fan of Jones for a long time. Uh, I, I'm always, you know, the, the one thing I like about Jones is that he. Always, regardless, you know, sometimes, like, you know, I'll just be like, okay, I definitely don't agree with that. But he always leaves you asking questions, you know, like making you question some of your your prior beliefs to a point. Uh, and that's a very, I mean, down to evolution. Like, I am increasingly, after reading some Jones stuff, I have some skepticism towards the theory of evolution, increasingly. And, you know, some people might dismiss me as a kook for that, but I think that it's very important to, you know, in a liberal society where we know everything that's taught to us is a lie or potentially could be a lie, it's very important to question um, absolutely everything. And I think Jones does that in a very effective way that some of these guys that are like, you know, evangelical uh, writers and stuff don't really they're not really good at doing right so i do appreciate that i think jones does a great job also in uh making uh secular arguments uh, against some of the uh the things like pornography and so on that uh you know impact our day-to-day lives and all of this stuff is very useful for uh intellectual purposes and so on if you want to just expand your horizon so i do appreciate that and i, I just really it's just a the, the the disagreement i would have with jones i don't want to harp on it but 
Uh, it really is just a, on, you know, the idea that um, oppression, you know, being oppressed for your race means that you should stop identify i don't want to keep harping on this that you should stop identifying for your for, uh, according to your race you know i don't think that uh that is uh something i agree with but with that said uh you know much much respect and love to dr jones thank you thank you okay so um this is a pretty good discussion if you uh if you have anything if you want to have any closing remarks uh dr jones uh, we'll give them to you Thank you. I enjoyed the discussion. Uh, we need to establish secure channels of communication. <laughs> so go to culturewars.com uh, and you'll be, you'll be on my list rather than on Google's list. And then we can, you will also uh, can sign up for the Logos book, which will be out, should be out the beginning of, uh, of uh, Jan- January to 2020. So uh, something I hope to discuss with you uh, when it comes out. Sure. I mean, we're always happy to discuss these things. I am, Eagerly looking forward to finishing Baron Metal. I think we should sometime, maybe you could come back on and we could have a discussion of that book where I think we will have very little disagreement. I think we're all very much on the same page. One thing we didn't get, we did want to discuss some other issues with you, political and and, um, issues relating to the migrant crisis. There's a lot of other things to talk about. I think next time we host you, we don't need to be arguing over our our small disagreements. We can instead talk about big issues and places where we agree and and fundamentally we see the same problems we see the same enemy and that i think is really important but uh thanks dr jones for being here and thank you uh, my my pleasure of course our pleasure as well and we'll talk to you later thank Mm -hmm. you take care yep